You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. You can turn to chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. And man, continuing our series through the book. And man, it's excited to see what God continues to do as we study his perfect, sufficient word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Where we're going to begin here in just a second. I may have shared some of this before, but I remember uh, when I went to propose to my wife, Lauren, um, back in 2010, the, the cool thing, what made it kind of fun was I was living, already living here in Lubbock and she was still in Florida, in Jacksonville, living with her parents. And uh, so it made the idea of surprise in some ways a little bit easier because when you're this far away, like it, it, it's easier to sneak up on somebody, right? And so um, I remember making all the plans and preparations and even talking with her parents. And I think their anniversary weekend was around or is around the time uh, of the year that I was proposing. And so they'd even set up kind of this trick plan where they were saying they were going to dinner for the anniversary, but they wanted Lauren to come because they didn't want her to stay at home by themselves. And they were celebrating like, I, I don't know what year, many, many years. So like, you know what, we've had a lot of these. You just come on with this daughter. So she was getting dressed up and everything, thinking she was going to dinner with her parents. Well, I again flew from uh, here to Jacksonville. And I remember uh, drove up to the, drive, went to the driveway and knocked on the door and her parents had her answer the door. And I'll never forget, I'm standing there, I've got a suit on, which I don't wear a suit very often, so it was like a dead giveaway, right? So uh, I've got flowers, got a suit on, and she opens the door, and I'm expecting this like, I don't know, I'm just expecting this great moment. And <laughs> she opens the door and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> so I'm like, uh, and I, just, I didn't actually respond, I just looked at her, and then she again, you know, the suit, the flowers, showed up out of nowhere from Texas, been dating about four years at the time, she went, oh, uh, oh, uh, oh. And she, she had on, she looked very lovely. Obviously, she always does. But she had on a dress that, um, in her terms, were not fit or was not fit for this kind of occasion. So she, she says, I, I'm, again, I'm still standing outside. She goes, I, 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 I can't wear this. I'll be back. And just runs into the house. <laughs> And so I'm just standing there and her mom comes in. She's like, you can come on in, just come on in. <laughs> um, it, it was just, and again, she, it was amazing. She looked beautiful, but I'll never forget her reaction of, of she felt like she, she was not ready for that moment. Thinking of, about that idea and just jumping straight to where we're going here in the text in a second. I wonder how many genuine born again believers who, who know and love Jesus, who, who are Christians are going to heaven. I wonder how many of us, when Christ returns and comes back for us, I wonder how many of us will have that same response of, oh, what are you doing here? (laughs) And and kind of metaphorically speaking, say, I I can't wear this. Meaning like, the way I've been living, my lifestyle, which the Bible often, the metaphor there is often the idea of putting on clothes, your lifestyle, clothe yourself with love, patience, all those things. Will we say, Jesus, this is not the right outfit. <laughs> Let me go change. As American Christians, this is kind of my take, I think we don't ponder the second coming of Christ very often because 
for a long time, we've had it pretty good here. I, I, I do really believe and feel that like more and more it's getting harder to live as a Christian in the States. Um, you, can't, you can't fly under the radar anymore. <laughs> if, you're gonna, if you're gonna live according to the Bible and be bold about finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus, you can't really fly under the radar anymore. anymore. But still, we, we've had it pretty easy and pretty comfortable lives. And so I think... We, we forget the joy and the excitement that, that Jesus is coming again. And we just kind of get caught up in this world. The Thessalonians, who Paul was writing to, if you read 1 Thessalonians, they were, they were going through the ringer. <laughs> they were facing persecution, hardship. And not, not persecution, persecution how we like to stay in the States of like, they made fun of me for being a Christian. Like no, legit persecution, people being beaten, people being killed, people being disowned, people losing everything, intense persecution. And the idea we see in scripture and really even throughout the the history of the church is that as hard times heat up and and ramp up, believers' tendency is to look up to Jesus coming again because things are difficult and they long for Jesus to come again. That's what was the case in Thessalonians. as they were thinking about those things of Jesus, the return of Jesus, they, they had some questions. And so even, this is not our text for the day, but even in chapter four, uh, Paul tells them, hey, look, like, you need to be encouraged. We don't grieve as those who don't know Jesus grieve because we know that whether someone is using, uh, whether they're dead, which he says as a Christian, we consider them to be asleep. Whether they're dead, quote, asleep, or whether they're living, when Christ returns, they're gonna be resurrected and they're going to be with him and we're gonna see each other again. So we don't grieve as those who have no hope because we do have hope in Jesus Christ, amen? That's that's what he tells them. And then in chapter five, he begins to answer this, this, another kind of question because they're kind of wrestling with with end times and Christ's return and what all does this mean? And we're gonna jump into chapter five and I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm gonna give you a little context before we kind of get into what I think is kind of the meat of this passage. But he says, verse one, chapter five, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. When they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So he says, thinking about the times and the seasons of when Christ will come again, the day of the Lord, you don't need anything to be written to you. So most commentators say Paul's already talked to them even in person about some of these things. But also Jesus himself said, no one knows but the Father the time or the hour when he will return, right? And he's like, wait, why does he say nothing needs to be written? He even says, it's like a thief in the night couple things to unpack here. First of all, notice Paul doesn't say, look, I know you're concerned about the return of the Lord. So what you need to do is break out a 25 foot detailed calendar and make your prediction. Like he doesn't say that. No, you're going to see in a second, he just tells them how to live as we wait for Christ to return. But he says, you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. The idea is there is sudden, uh, unexpected. It, it's a surprise. But then there's more to it. He says, when they say peace and security, the idea is that, so in the culture, in the world, people are saying, everything's fine, everything's good, just, just, 
just coast through life because you don't need to be worried about anything. Then sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So he, he has this idea, you're going to see in a second even more to further solidify it, that for the unbeliever, for the unbeliever, when Christ returns, it is terrifying like waking up to a thief coming into your house. It's unexpected. Of course, I feel like Texans, it, this is a little different context for us, right? Because you're out there thinking like, I have an alarm, I have a dog, I have 14 assault rifles, <laughs> like, like, you're like, I'm not scared of no thief. Okay, but like think about in, in, in their context, with, with no alarm, they wouldn't have dogs because they thought of them as disgusting. They don't have assault rifles in their house. Like a little fair to be a little more nervous, right? You get the picture. So it's sudden, it, it's terrifying. Destruction will come. See, for the believer, again, we're gonna solidify this in the next verse here in a second. For the believer, when, when Christ returns, man, it, it, it's, a, it's a glorious appearing. Scripture says that we long for his appearing. But for those who don't know him, it signals the beginning of the end, <laughs> of judgment, of the wrath of God. It says it's like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. I've limited uh, things I can say about giving birth. <laughs> I think the idea that like, once a woman goes into labor, she's having that baby. It's been a long time since I have referenced the show The Office. My buddy over there said that, he asked if I got my doctorate in uh, how to use The Office as sermon illustrations. <laughs> but <laughs> there's, a, there's an episode where a couple on the show, Jim and Pam are fixing, Pam's fixing to have their baby and she's been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally, she, she, she's going into labor. Like she's having contractions and she just tells Jim, like, I, I just, I don't, they're at the office. And she's like, I, I just don't want to go. Can we just not do this today? And they're like, like, you don't have a choice. Like the time has come, right? Like we're going to the hospital. There's no turning back at this point. That's kind of the idea here that like when, when Christ returns to those who don't know Christ, it, it is going to be a painful occasion for those who don't know him. But also, when he, when he comes, it's too late to make arrangements. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, or it's the opposite. See, when I, when I showed up at Lauren's doorstep to propose, I, I had no problem with her running inside and, you know, getting clean, uh, not cleaned up, but changing her dress, all that stuff. For those who don't know Christ, when Christ returns, people can't be like, you know what, Jesus, I'm ha now that I see you in all your full, full glory and splendor, I need to make some arrangements. Like, no, the time has come. So he says, for, for those who don't know Christ, it's like a thief in the night, and it's, it's destruction, and, and they should be scared. It's gonna come out of nowhere, a surprise to them. But what he's gonna do in a second, he's gonna give the believer the things they should be doing, the things that we should be doing while we wait for the return of Christ. So again, I wanna emphasize that the point of this is not to... When's he coming back? Let me figure it out. Rather, it's to know he is coming back and how do we live in the meantime? So I think there's four things we're gonna see in this text. The first one, let me read verses four through five. He says, but you brothers and sisters, so as opposed to those who don't know Christ, you are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. By the way, will it be a surprise when Christ returns? Do we know the day or time? 
No, we don't. But he says it won't be a surprise like, oh, he's coming to get me. No, like it's a joyous occasion. He says, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. Now jump down to the beginning of verse eight, just for a little more similar thought there. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. And we'll come back to that in a second. Again, he's emphasizing we belong to the day. So here's the first thing I want you to see. I think Paul's giving us here in the scripture, what we do while we wait for the return of Christ. That is remember who you are. Remember who you are. And who are you? You are a child of the light. You don't walk in the darkness. Here's what I love about this. He's not just saying like Peter does in 1 Peter, that we've been brought from darkness into the marvelous light of Christ, which that is awesome in and of itself that he's brought us from the darkness and hopelessness of the world and brought us into his glorious light, which helps us to see truth, helps us to walk in hope and it gives us clarity to who Jesus is. We walk in the light, that's an amazing thing. But he says it's more than that. He says, now you belong to the light. So don't miss this. This is not just about a... a, um, What's the word I want to use here? That you've been transitioned to the light. This is about a transformation from the inside out. That once you were full of darkness, as Ephesians says, you were dead in your sin, but now you are a child of the light. You belong to the light. What does that mean? You walk in the light. You choose to fix your eyes on Jesus. While we wait for his return, we remember who we are. We're not children of darkness, we are children of the light. He says, so then, verse six, so then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. So the first thing was remember who you are. Here's the second thing we do while we wait for the return of Christ. It is maintain in any moment mindset. Maintain an any moment mindset. The the idea there is to to stay awake, be self-controlled. It's this alertness to be prepared, to be busy serving the king, knowing he is coming again. Lauren and I took the kids to a restaurant a couple weeks ago. It was the evening. I think it was about 6.30, maybe 7 at night. We're bad parents. We eat way too late with our kids. And uh, we are in line to order and uh, we just ordered and I was kind of waiting for our cups or something and this young girl, probably college age girl is coming up to order next and there's a young man that's uh, running the cash register or the, whatever, taking orders and uh, you could tell right away he's, he's trying to get his game on. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's, he's spitting some game and so I naturally have to hear what's going on, right? This is awesome. <clears throat> and so uh, <laughs> he's talking to her and she's, she's clearly not interested, but, but she's being polite. And so uh, she asked him how his day is going, 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. And he says, <laughs> trying to be so cool. He's like, yeah, that's pretty good. Still kind of waking up, woke up about two hours ago. So just kind of really getting going. And she literally goes, oh, okay. <laughs> and just walks off. Because there's nothing honorable, there's nothing impressive about a lazy lifestyle, right? Like I'm not saying everybody slept in at some point, whatever, but like 
that, I, I really, I, t- I went, I got our cups and went back and sat down with Lauren and the kids. Of course, they were oblivious, but to Lauren, I was like, I can't believe that was his go-to pickup line. Like, <laughs> like that, that's what you got? Like, that's how you're spitting some game? Like, yeah, I just woke up at 4.30, I'm awesome. Like, there's nothing honorable or impressive about that. How much less impressive to have a lazy, lackadaisical lifestyle about serving the king? Right? That, that, when he says to stay awake, to, to be self-controlled, that's what he's getting at is that we have this, we maintain this any moment mindset that, that Christ is returning and I don't want to be found with this lazy lack today, but rather, that was weird, rather I want to be busy serving the king. And as chapter uh, four says, I want, I want to carry out what God's will is. And he says in chapter four, verse three, what is God's will? Your sanctification. What is sanctification? It's the process of the Holy Spirit making me holy, making me like Christ. What is God's will for my life? For you to be happy. Eh, wrong. God's will for you is to be holy, to be made like him. We're to be busy. As chapter one says, uh, I love the way chapter one, verse eight says, Paul says, the word of the Lord rang out from you. What a cool picture that the word of God was just ringing out from the believers at first uh, in Thessalonica as they were sharing the gospel and telling others about Jesus. That's what we're to be busy doing. The word of the Lord ringing out from us in our conversations as we're busy serving the king, not so we can earn his love, but because we already know his love. Maintain an any moment mindset. He's coming. I want to be ready. I want to be busy serving the king. And some of you may be thinking, even already, like, bro, it's been like 2,000 years. Are you sure he's coming? Like, how can I have a, maintain an any moment mindset? He could be coming any, any minute if it's been 2,000 years. What is, uh, is it 2 Peter 3, 8 says? That the Lord, a day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years is like a day. So I don't think that, like, we have to be real literal about that, but doing that math, in the Lord's eyes, how long has it been? About two days. <laughs> He's coming again. Be ready. Be busy serving the king. Hey, I, I, I'm not gonna chase this rabbit too far right now, but there, there's a lot of talk, even, even in churches, about being being woke, what does it mean to be a woke Christian? Y'all, we don't need Christians who are woke and, and buy into the false ideologies of critical race theory. We need Christians who are woke to the fact that Jesus is coming again. He's going to return. And I promise you, Christians who have their gaze, their eyes fixed on the fact that the king is coming, I wanna be busy living for him, if we'll do that, that'll fix a lot more or that will begin to remedy and heal a lot more than just race issues. Wake up to the fact that Jesus is coming again. He's coming, I promise you. When we live this way with this any moment mindset, knowing that he'd come at any time, so I'm gonna stay awake, I'm gonna be alert, I'm gonna, gonna be self-controlled, it also kind of pr- protects us in a way. Look at... Um, Verses, we're gonna start in verse eight again. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live 
together with him. So here's, here's the third thing we need to do as we're waiting on the return of Christ. That is put on the armor of faith, love, and hope. Put on the armor of faith, love, and hope. And so much we, we could talk about here, but turn just for a second if you, if you can, uh, or if you're on your phone, like a scroll, but look back at chapter one, verse uh, three with me. Kind of a cool connection I think Paul is, is making here, or even a theme you could say. He says, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so thinking about the, both of these passages and the connection between them. So putting on faith, trusting the promises of God. We just sang about that a little bit ago, but do it again. Relying on being assured of the promises of God, choosing to have faith in them. Love, laying down my life for other people, serving them unselfishly. And hope, hoping and knowing, being certain of the promises of God, being certain that he will come again. We're gonna unpack these next, the, verses nine and 10 in a second. But he says, when you put on faith, love and hope, it's like putting on uh, some, I think the ESV says a breastplate. And, and a helmet, the hope is a helmet protects your thoughts. So you protect your heart and your mind and your thoughts as you put these on. But don't miss, these are not just feel like Christian terminology. From chapter one, do you see the connection to, to these words and action? So faith leads me to, to work, to serve. Love leads me to, to labor, to work. And hope is rooted in Jesus. So what I'm saying is, if, if you're gonna put on the armor of faith and love and hope, it's not just about coming to church and just like, ah, I feel faith. I feel the love in the room. Can you feel? No, it's, it's, it's about experiencing the love of Jesus, choosing to trust his promises and doing something about it. Going and serving the king. So the question is, are you putting on the armor or are you just talking about it? <laughs> Suit up with faith, love, and hope. And notice here, Man, this is so good. We could do a whole sermon just on this last little part. He unpacks and maybe even kind of um, emphasizes hope. He says, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So hope of salvation. Not, not that, man, I, I trusted in Jesus. I called on his name, as the scripture says. I hope Maybe he'll save me. No, we know if we have trusted Christ, we are saved. We are forgiven of our sins. But he's saying the hope of salvation, meaning the salvation of not experiencing the wrath of God and being condemned because of my sin. We haven't experienced that in its fullness yet. Does it make sense? Because when Christ comes again, he will bring with him the wrath of God on sin and condemn all of sin. Satan will eventually be thrown to hell forever. And those who have chosen to follow Satan and not Jesus, them thrown into hell as well. But he says, if you're in Christ, we have the hope of salvation, meaning we have the hope that we won't experience the wrath of God. We've been appointed not to wrath, but to obtain salvation 
through. So how do we get this salvation? How do we not experience the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He died for us, amen? Even our hope of eternal redemption and salvation and not experiencing the wrath of God, even that is rooted in what happened 2,000 years ago on a bloody cross on a hill called Calvary. Jesus died for us. He experienced the wrath of God, so I don't have to. And you're gonna see as you read the scripture, over and over, it calls us back to fix our eyes, to root our hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. This is not like, well, you know what? So whether you're sleeping when Jesus comes back or whether you're drinking coffee and running around, you're gonna be with him. No, that's not what he's saying. He's using a sleep here like he did back in chapter 14. And I mentioned it, or sorry, chapter four, uh, verses 13 through 18 where he, the idea that we speak of believers who have died as though they've fallen asleep because we know their, their soul was with the Lord. So he says, whether you have on this earth died physically, but still spiritually alive to God, or whether you're even still physically alive when Christ returns, if your faith and hope has been placed in Jesus Christ, you will be with him when he comes. Hey, don't miss this. Jesus, God, has not appointed you as a believer to wrath. So when life gets tough, as a believer, you don't need to think, oh man, God's, God's, God's punishing me. I lost my job because I'm a sinful person. You are a sinful person. But that doesn't mean that's why you lost your job. Oh man, I, my, my grandma, she got cancer. I, it's because I'm a sinful person. You are a sinful person, but Jesus has not appointed you to wrath. He's appointed you to salvation. Some of us, as the scripture says, some of us are going to fall asleep. Some of, us, some of us, maybe all of us, if Christ doesn't return yet, are going to experience death on this earth. But that will not prevent us from the hope of heaven because Jesus is our hope, amen? He didn't promise you an easy life, but he did promise you salvation. He is our hope. So, Put on the armor of faith, love, and hope. In light of all that, and really specifically in light of the hope we have in Jesus because he died for us, he says in verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. So here's our fourth thing, and that is encourage each other in Christ-centered community. Encourage each other in Christ-centered community. I love, he says, he says this to encourage one another and build each other up right after he just talked about the gospel again. So don't miss this. Paul is not saying, man, just encourage each other. Just, you know, give each other a good game every now and then. Give them a high five. <laughs> good game, sorry. Um, just check, see how they're doing. Those are all good things. But encourage each other, build each other up in the gospel truth that Christ died for us. There's context to our encouragement. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of our conversations are rooted and built on and focused on Jesus versus, well, sure has been humid lately in Lubbock. I've said that, I don't know how many times. Like, what if we actually focused our conversations as Christians about Jesus and built community that way and not just on if the Red Raiders are gonna have a good season this fall? 
Those are all good things to talk about. But what if we focused on Jesus? One of my friends, um, she's a friend now. I had her in middle school, but now she's in college. Channing Wicks, uh, she had a friend interview her, interview, I guess it's an okay word, interview her for a blog. Um, and a proud father rightfully sent it to me. So, um, and, and I read it. I think it was awesome. Uh, this girl asked Channing, um, who's in our college ministry, asked her about finding church community, what that's been like for her as a college student. And I love what Channing said um, while she's only a junior in college. I think there's a lot of wisdom here. She said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to be part of a church where you have lots of friends who care for you. But when that becomes your number one priority, you've gotten the whole point of church a bit confused. God doesn't call us to make church our hangout with our best friends. The point of a church body and gathering together is to sustain and renew your faith so that you can go out into the world the rest of the week and be a light without burning out or being swayed. Finding a solid Bible teaching church should be your number one priority. Being a part of a community that is being challenged, refined and built up on a regular basis is the most sustaining type of church. You will find, sorry, you will find common ground with believers at any church and therefore make friends. You can be confident in that. I, I love this. If you're on the hunt for a church, be sure that your pursuit of Christ is greater than your pursuit of community. No matter how good and necessary we know community is, it cannot take first place. Preach it. I don't know how many times people like flow through the church, what it means like they're here for a season, they go to another church, but, and it's all because I couldn't find community. And like, I, I get that we wanna hang out with like-minded people, Ben, what a convicting word. Like, is my desire to find like-minded people and people I get along with stronger than my desire just to grow and fall in love with Jesus? If you're here and your sole desire is just community, you're missing out on what we're about. We're about Jesus. And Jesus brings community. He creates community. You know what's so cool about looking out here? Like, bless you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not one of you look just like the other. But here we are worshiping the same God. We are to encourage each other in Christ-centered community. I think about, who was it? Was it my dad maybe? My dad or my pastor growing up in talking about dating relationships said, and they may have sold this from somebody else, <laughs> you, you run towards Jesus as hard as you can And every now and then you look around and see who's running beside you, doing the same thing. Maybe they're a good person to partner up with. I think that's the picture of not just what engagement and getting married looks like, but even Christian community. Don't run towards, who can I find to build community? No, run towards Jesus and see who's running towards Jesus as well. Make him your priority. And when we do that, we're gonna be built up. And you know what? That's gonna make us stronger and more ready and more Uh, focused on endurance and persevering while we wait for Jesus to return. Because he's coming again. He's coming again. You know, often in scripture, God gives us the, the picture of the church being the bride of Christ. 
and that Christ is coming for his bride. What, what a cool picture. I got to do uh, a wedding last night for Katie. It'd be so hard to not call her Katie Ritchie, but Katie now Harden and Bryce Harden. Um, super sweet time. And it's, it's always so cool seeing, seeing the bride come down the aisle. Man, like that, that, that never, never gets old. Um, and, seeing, and seeing the groom's response. I, mean, I did a wedding uh, about a month ago and uh, the groom had been cutting up and goofing up and just like having a good time. And I kept thinking, this dude is so nervous. He just didn't want to say it. And he's like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's good. Well, we get out and she's fixing to walk down the aisle. This is, again, this is, about a, this is not Bryce, but another guy. And I leaned over, I didn't have her microphone on. So I said, hey man, like, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm nervous as heck, man. <laughs> I, lo- I love watching that interaction. Could you imagine if at, you were at a wedding and it came time for the, for the bride to meet the groom? The groom's there to meet the bride. And she turns the corner and she's like, whoo. Sorry, y'all just woke up. Oh, man. Mom, can you give me some coffee? Lord of mercy, where's my dress? <laughs> or for her to turn the corner and say, oh, is that is, today? Today's the day? <laughs> or or to, 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 to get down to the altar where the groom is and for the groom to look at the bride and her have stains and dirt all over I don't doubt the groom would still love her and follow through with the commitment, but he'd probably be going, did, did, you, did you forget? Did you forget what was coming? I know, I've just been having fun. Like, yeah, but it, it's our wedding day. Or could you imagine the, the, the bride coming down and she's like, you know, she, she turns the corner, she's coming down, she's munching on a cheeseburger. <laughs> What's the, uh, the, the LGN diet, right? I won't unpack that. <laughs> if you're married, you know what the LGN, you know what the LGN diet is? I'm not gonna say it. anyways. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> the look good naked diet. So, <laughs> coming down, just chewing on a cheeseburger. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just hungry. Like, what's the big deal? Rightfully, the groom would say, did, did, you for, did you forget what's going on? Like, you knew this day was coming. You knew it was coming. Question, what would it say about the bride's love for the groom if she approached it that way? Lackadaisical, not ready, covered in stains because she's been out playing in the mud pit. <laughs> like, what does it say about her love for the for the groom, maybe better yet, what does it say about her view of the groom? Honestly, if that happened, like if a bride was that lackadaisical about, about meeting the groom, I might be like, I, I, do we need to pause here for a minute? Like, I don't think we understand what's going on here. Y'all, I don't want any of us to be found when, when the groom comes for us, to be found not ready. <laughs> Believer. The king is coming. If you stay ready, what's the old, uh, old rapper used to say? If you stay ready, you don't gotta get ready. <laughs> stay ready. The king 
is coming. Stay in his word. Keep your eyes on him. Walk with him. Maintain an any moment mindset. Knowing he's coming, stay ready. So you don't have to say when Jesus comes, oh, man, oh, not today, Jesus. Really, any day but today. I'm just not ready. No, stay ready. Stay ready. I'm gonna trust because of the the clock here. I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit to unpack with you maybe some ways that you can stay ready and what that needs to look like of turning from sin and turning to him and staying ready. But the reality is there a lot of you, there may be, I should say, a lot of you this morning that you're, you're not in any shape ready because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. See, all of us are gonna stand before Jesus one day, even as believers, and we're, we're not gonna be as pure and white and pretty as we'd like to be, but there's grace for that, amen? <laughs> But some of you, you're gonna stand before him and, and there's not grace because you've never turned to his grace. You've never turned to him for salvation. You've never turned from your sin and turned to the altar of forgiveness and knowing that he laid his life down so you could know him and be forgiven of your sin. Did you know, I'm, I'm referencing uh, something that Vody Bauckham said here, he's a pastor in Africa, but he said, there are gonna be a lot of people in hell who have never cussed, who don't drink, who don't do drugs, who didn't sleep around, who are very faithful to their spouses. There are gonna be a lot of people in hell that fit that description because none of those things are what make you a Christian. There may be some evidences of a Christian, but that's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is turning from your sin, turning from your self-righteousness and turning to the righteousness of Jesus. Friend, Jesus could come back at any moment. Don't wait another day. Turn to him today for salvation. You do not want to be found not ready when he comes back because it is a day of destruction. He's coming not back as the lamb, but he's coming back as the lion. And for those who know him, we long for it and look forward to seeing him face to face. But those who don't know him, it will be a day of reckoning. Turn to Jesus today. What does that, what does that look like? It's simply recognizing your sinful, broken person that you can't muster up enough goodness to know him and be in right relationship with him and simply putting the shovel down that you've been digging, trying to, to make your life right and you say, Jesus, I turn to you. I trust your perfect life, your death, your resurrection. And Jesus, would you save me and forgive me of my sins? Jesus, be the Lord of my life. When you repent from your sin and you trust him, you will be saved. Not maybe, not could be, no. You will be saved. Jesus doesn't save good people because there aren't good people. He saves anyone who will turn to him. I'm gonna pray for us here in a second. And as we sing in a moment, maybe you just need to stand and sing and celebrate the gospel truths we're gonna be singing. Or maybe you need to come down front as a believer and just say, Jesus, I've not been focused on the fact that you're coming again. And Jesus, I wanna live like you, come, you could come back at any moment because you can. Jesus, help me to live in light of your return. There'll be some folks down here at the front that would love to pray with you if you wanna talk through where you're at in life or maybe just to be prayed for. You could just walk up and say, hey, would you pray for me? And they would love to pray with you. But there are some of you who you need to go this morning from death to life by placing your faith in Jesus. There'll be some folks down here that would love to talk with you and pray with you. If you're like, hey, I'm not sure what exactly what that looks like still, they would love to talk you through that. Man, don't wait another moment. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna stand and respond. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross and that because of you, we have the hope of salvation. 
that we will not experience the wrath of God to come. Jesus, would you help us as the bride to be ready, to stay ready, knowing that you're coming again? Lord, for those that don't know you this morning, would you draw them to yourself? Lord, Jesus, please, would you awaken their heart from death to life? Would you flip on that light switch to see who you are? God, would they respond and come to you? God, would you give us boldness to respond and, and to lean into what you have for us this morning, God, to be more like you or to come to know you? God, we love you. Would you speak to us during this song? In the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 